0: Now, 1045 The Zone's non stop sports talk continues with a look at Nashville's teams and at news around the nation from the lead writer of 1045thezone.com. This is The Big Six. The Big Six with Jason Martin, presented by Renters Warehouse. And here we go. Straight up, 6 o'clock by my watch, means it's time for the one and only Big 6 here on 104.5 The Zone. Glad to have you with us. My name is Jason Martin. You can follow me on Twitter at jmartzone, our telephone number. Not sure if we'll get calls tonight, but you can try 615-737-1045. That's 737-1045. My main man, Ryan Mudd, behind the glass, spinning the dials radio style for me, doing the fantastic job he's known for. And we'll talk about a variety of things tonight. There are a couple of issues right now that are sort of political and sort of social in nature. One of them is the Hank Haney story. Honestly, let me just go ahead and tell you up front. I have no real interest in talking about that story, so I'm not going to talk about that story. The NBA story about the name change, maybe I will get into that. I'm not afraid to weed into this stuff, but I also a lot of times don't feel like there's a benefit in it. And I think that becomes more the question that I want to address. If there's something I feel like absolutely needs to be put out there that I can either add to the discourse or we can find a way to create some level of nuance where maybe we can find a middle ground, then that's worth it. But generally speaking, there are a lot of people that do tend to go to those issues and when they do it, they do it for a a purpose that's a little bit less than ideal. And that's not what I'm going to do here. And I forgot off the top to say what I always do, which is I am blessed beyond measure, all reasonable and otherwise undeserved, unmerited favor from my Lord and Savior. I hope you recognize how blessed you are. That's a conversation you'd like to have further. I'm at jmartzone on Twitter. My DMs are always wide open to have that talk. If not me, I hope you'll trust in someone that you know that can potentially help you out along that journey. Well, the NBA Finals, because of the way the games are structured, we will not have another game until tomorrow night. And there's a couple of things that are actually happening right now surrounding this pretty pivotal Game 3 in a tie series between the Warriors and the Raptors that we can discuss here. But the injuries to the Warriors, at some point, they do have to actually get these guys, right? I mean, it's a 1-1 series, but Kevin Durant, maybe he can come back and play. I have said since the injury, I did not think he would play again in a Golden State uniform. I'm starting to waver on that just a little bit, but I have a thought here in just a second about Durant. Klay Thompson is now banged up. Hamstring strain on Sunday. He's now questionable for Game 3, according to multiple reports. MRI has confirmed that strained hamstring. He's going to test it, and more information should come out closer to the game. Steve Kerr said yesterday, his coach said, look, he's going to tell you he's fine and he can go even if he's half dead. That's just the way he is. He's going to want to go. But they need to be careful with him. And not just Clay, not just KD, but Andre Iguodala is still a little bit banged up. He did make that big shot after missing the 11 threes that he had taken prior to it on Sunday, made the one that that counted. And that's just what Iguodala seems to do in clutch moments is make big plays on both ends of the floor. But he is not particularly strong right now. And then Kavon Looney is probably now done for the rest of the postseason. And you say, what the heck should that matter? Well, it should matter because Kavon Looney was a revelation in the Western Conference Finals. He was... A stud in that series, and he was great in the closeout games against the Rockets. After Durant went down, he was he was rebounding the ball effectively. He was playing good defense. He was clogging up the painted area. He all of a sudden really was starting to play good good ball. And now he's out with a fracture, and he's pretty much done. So you've got Looney out, you've got Durant out, you've got Clay potentially out, you've got Iguodala hampered. Somehow, Steph Curry is the one that's healthy, and he's the one that's almost always injured. That's four injuries, folks, in, the, in a tie series against a Raptors team that doesn't have any injuries right now. The only injury really is that Kawhi Leonard is clearly not 100%. He's banged up. He's beaten down. He's played so many minutes. He landed awkwardly. And since that point early in the last series, he just has kind of been hobbling around, and he's still playing great ball. He's still, I think, the best player in the league because of what he can do on both ends. It's him and Durant. Those are the two best players in the league. I, I don't think there is an argument at this point. You can say it's LeBron. It's not LeBron at age 35. You can say Giannis has all this talent. Giannis has a lot of talent, but Giannis also has a lot of holes in his game that he's going to have to repair in the coming years. You can say James Harden, and you would just flat out be wrong. Because even though his defense has come around some, it's still nowhere near an elite level. And his game does not make anyone around him better. The reason why I go with Kawhi over KD is because I think Kawhi makes everybody around him better. But he isn't feeling great. So he's going to need help from the bench. But what the Warriors are being asked to do is kind of crazy. But because it's a 1-1 series, and this is why Toronto losing on Sunday is such a big deal. If Toronto wins that game, if they don't choke it away, if they foul and don't allow the Iguodala 3 If they just hold on and win the game, because they've really outplayed the Warriors six out of eight quarters, they got killed in the third quarter on Sunday, and then in the fourth they just didn't play as smart as they could have down the stretch. Nick Nurse is on sidelines begging for the foul, and it does not come. Remember, Popovich tried to do the same thing with San Antonio, and the Spurs were just not having it. LaMarcus Aldridge didn't get out and foul. We've seen that happen a couple of times here in this postseason alone. And it happened again, and it cost the cost the Raptors. If they were up 2-0 right now, they would be feeling awfully good because, especially when you look at these injuries, look, you don't want to play against a team that doesn't have everybody there. You don't want to create an asterisk where one would not otherwise be available to use. Because if the Warriors lose, it's going to be like, well, they didn't have Kevin Durant, Clay Thompson got hurt, Iguodala wasn't right, Looney got hurt as well, if you want to add him to the list it gives them some kind of plausible deniability. It gives anybody who wants to find a blemish in the Raptors winning a championship, the blemish that they need. But they didn't win, right? So it's a 1-1 series, and now it's who can win three out of the next five games. That becomes your NBA champion. And so the Raptors who had all of this advantage now don't because it opens up something for the Warriors to do that maybe they otherwise wouldn't, and that is, and I heard Jalen Rose actually say this on ESPN, he would not play Clay Thompson tomorrow night. Regardless of what Clay thinks, he would rest Clay Thompson. And you have the ability to do that if you're Golden State now because it's a tie series and not one where Game 3 feels much more like a must win. If you go down 3-0, even if you're Golden State at full strength, you're probably not coming back to win that series. This team just gets too lackadaisical. They get bored. They get disinterested because of their level of talent and what they're capable of. And so when they play less than their capability, they can get beat, especially by a hungry team led by a killer like Kawhi Leonard. So Klay Thompson can actually sit out and they can fall behind 2-1 even if they lose without him because if you don't have Klay and you don't have Kevin Durant, that causes a lot of problems. Now, the biggest advantage that the Warriors have at present is that Draymond Green is playing the best basketball of his life. He seems to be in the best frame of mind of his life, I actually like watching Draymond Green right now, and I haven't been able to stand Draymond Green pretty much his entire career. But I'm really enjoying him this postseason. I'm enjoying some of the messages that he is delivering in postgames. He's taking responsibility. He's not whining nearly as much. He's not crying. He just seems to be a guy that has matured right before our eyes. And it's possible he's matured right before our eyes so that the Warriors brass pays him all the money in the world to stay there, and he gets that deal that he wants. But he gives them a luxury because of what he's able to do all across the floor with triple-doubles basically every time he's out there. And it's not ones that are so heavily relying on offense. He does everything right. But you now have the luxury of your Golden State of sitting Klay Thompson in Game 3. Falling behind 2-1 is not going to be the end of the world because then it just puts the series back on serve. Kevin Durant then becomes another question. And that is... Do you rush him back if you're Golden State because you think you need another guy who can get his own shot? I mean, Clay can't even get his own shot. Iguodala could 10 years ago, but not anymore. Steph is the only guy on the team that can create his own offense that doesn't have to be set up. And Durant is the other guy that can do that. Kawhi can do that for Toronto. Kyle Lowry can do that for Toronto. Siakam can do that for Toronto. They have more guys that are built right now to score when they need options they actually have more dudes that can do that the warriors usually are a set up team that's why they rely so much on ball movement is because they have to because a lot of guys can't just step up and shoot on their own they have to be positioned right catch it right shoot it and be put in the you know the proper scenarios for success and credit to steve kerr for helping to develop that flow but that flow is now changed up. Now Boogie Cousins coming back helps and you realize how much talent he actually does have. His name is always mentioned for the wrong reasons, but what was the talk about him coming out of Kentucky? If he can just harness his attitude just a little bit and avoid getting in his own way, you know, technical fouls and just things that you don't need, then he could be otherworldly in terms of his talent. And so what we saw in game two was a Boogie Cousins that came out there to play basketball and to help, and he worked super hard to come back from that injury, and he did, and he got back on the floor before Kevin Durant could. Now the other thing about Durant is that the Durant that you get is going to be rusty. He had not played in a month. Has not played in a month, and this offense is one that, it look, as soon as he gets back out there, Everything's going to change back to the way it was but they're used to the new style now. They're used to the new style which is the old style. Old is in vogue again. When Durant comes back, it gets back to isolation ball and him squaring up guys, posting up guys, coming down the floor banging threes. It's not a bad thing to have Kevin Durant. In terms of what he can do offensively, we've seen very little like this in the history of basketball. He is the next generation George Girvin. But, it does take time to reacclimate to a world with Kevin Durant after getting used to a world without him. And so, I don't know how quickly that transition's going to happen. And if he comes back and he's rusty and it takes him a game, let's say he comes back in game... Let's say he comes back in game five, okay? He comes back in game five and the Warriors are... Let's say it's a 2-2 series then, perhaps. Game five, he's probably not going to be particularly good in that game. If he does, then... Look, he's Kevin Durant. He could prove us wrong. But if you want to look at what's likely to happen, that's what I talked about last night on the show. What's most likely to happen is he's going to have a game where he's going to play pretty well but not great, and he's going to make a couple of mistakes along the way. If he does that and they lose Game 5, then you hope that he's fully ready for Game 6 in a must-win situation then because you'd be trailing 3-2, and if you lose again, you're out. So you'd have to win two in a row. If Kevin Durant comes back, he's going to have three games probably left this season. And I I continue to believe in his Golden State career, he's got three games left. Do you really expect that he's going to be up to form by the time he comes back? This was my argument about the Titans and Jeffrey Simmons. Those who are saying that he can come back with a month left in the season, which maybe he can. But what's he really going to give you in that final month? Even if he's studying hard, and I think he will. I think he's going to be a really smart football player, and I think he. I am rooting really hard for Jeffrey Simmons in the Music City. I love everything that I've heard come out of his mouth. I love everything that I read about everyone else and what they think of Jeffrey Simmons. But Jeffrey Simmons can't help you this year. He can help you next year. Durant cannot help you that much in this series compared to what he could have had he not gotten injured. You can say, well, he's been able to rest for a month. Yeah, he's been able to rest for a month, but he's not going to be in basketball shape. Did you see DeMarcus Cousins on Sunday lumbering up and down the floor? Yes, he had a good game, but he is way out of shape. He's not in basketball shape, and Durant is not going to be. You can't duplicate the speed of the NBA Finals and the way that those two teams are running up and down the court. You can't do that in an empty gymnasium. You just can't. It takes some time to remember, oh, okay, this is how you have to move. This is how you have to space all that. He's a great, great player. But you're probably not going to see 100% of Kevin Durant in this series. But because the Raptors were unable to win that game, they should have won on Sunday. The Warriors now have options they wouldn't have otherwise. They can hold Klay Thompson out and see what happens with Steph and Draymond and Iguodala. And that's like I said, I'm now thinking about who else is on the floor because the list gets real short at that point. But you do have that idea now. Clay's going to want to play, but would you play? Clay, if you were Steve Kerr, if he's not completely right. Because it's dangerous. Hamstring strain, if that thing gets any worse, and I'm not a medical expert, so I'm not sure if it could, but if he were to strain it worse or if it was to get more painful, then he couldn't play the rest of the series. He comes back, he's 50% of himself, he lands awkwardly or makes it worse and can't play for the rest of the series, you lose the game anyway. What did you gain out of him being back? So that's question one. The second question I'm going to tackle when we come back on the other side, and that is, not if you're the Warriors would you bring Kevin Durant back, but if you're Kevin Durant, do you want to come back in this series? I think that there are arguments on both sides, and we will discuss. This is The Big Six. 4-5 The Zone. Welcome back. Big Six here on a Tuesday here in the Music City. We're brought to you by Renters Warehouse, dedicated to helping homeowners become rent estate investors by renting their homes instead of selling. Renters Warehouse, the rent estate company. I am Jason Martin. You can follow me on Twitter at JmartZone. And if you have not uh, checked out the podcast, if there's something that you missed, you can, catch all, you can catch up to all of it, dating back to July when this whole shebang started, early July, just by searching The Big Six with Jason Martin. You can do that through your podcast, Catcher of Choice, wherever you like to get your podcast, it's available. And you can get the entire archive and episodes will be delivered to you about, I don't know, 10 minutes or so after we go off the air every night, so you never miss anything. Same, it's true of the Pop Six, the pop culture podcast that I'm doing with a, with various folks, depending on the topic at hand. Here in the building, we've got to finish up this office podcast, I know. I've gotten messages, even friends are like, "Uh, so I went ahead and finished the series, are you going to finish the podcast? The answer so far has been no. There have been some things that have happened, and the draft got in the way, and then Avengers Endgame came out, and we wanted to strike while that iron was red hot, and so we did a couple of weeks on that, and that's something to check out if you missed, including a Marvel Character Universe draft, a Marvel Cinematic Universe draft, That was 15 rounds with me, Brad Willis, and Brett Bryan here in the studio. So we've got that. We've got a lot of stuff coming up. I'm going to do a John Wick podcast probably in a couple of weeks as well. And I did a retro first-ever Deep Six dive over at the Big Six blog. That's 104.5thezone.com slash Big Six blog on John Wick. Big spoilers certainly there. I'm going to do the same thing for John Wick too, maybe a little bit later on this week. And then I probably need to see Parabellum again so that I can do kind of a more in-depth piece on that because, well, a whole lot of death in that film, but you don't remember a whole lot outside of those scenes to some extent, so I want to get some of the nuance before I jump back into it. So there's a lot, lot of stuff on the horizon, to be sure. I also want to do some stuff on Chernobyl, which if you have not seen it, Chernobyl might be the best thing on TV, not just this year, but the last couple of years, HBO miniseries. Any award that it is up for, it should win. That's how good it is. Jared Harris, man. Jared Harris has been good for a long time and a lot of different stuff. I could list all of it. He's great in Mad Men. He's just phenomenal. But this turn in Chernobyl, and the saddest thing about Chernobyl is it's a horror story that's real. And, man, is it good TV. Just fantastic stuff. So if you have HBO and you have not checked out Chernobyl, check out Chernobyl. We talked about the luxury the Warriors have in terms of not necessarily having to play Klay Thompson tomorrow night because it's a tie series that probably should be 2-0 Raptors. I read that Mark Spears wrote at ESPN that the Raptors are playing like they've been here before, and I kind of rolled my eyes, not because he's wrong, but because I should have known better in the last series. I told you last night, I am willing to evolve, and once the series got to 2-2, I knew Toronto was going to beat Milwaukee. And before the series, I had argued that Kawhi Leonard was the one guy on the floor during that series that I trusted. And I trusted him more, as a matter of fact, than virtually anybody else in the playoffs. Because he's a Finals MVP and he'd been there before. And I guess anybody else not on the Warriors, but Kawhi, I think, was playing at the highest level of anybody. It was him and Durant playing the best in the playoffs. But Kawhi Leonard's been a Finals MVP with San Antonio, who's beaten LeBron James, whose injury pretty much may have set the stage for Golden State to get past San Antonio that year. Now, they may have won that series anyway, but we're never going to know because of the injury to Kawhi Leonard. And at the point that that happened, the Spurs were rolling on the road against Golden State. But the question I asked before the break was, if you're Kevin Durant, do you want to come back in this series? There are two ways to look at this. And there usually are. Make Don't ever make the mistake of just looking at the side that you agree with. Look at the sides you disagree with. One, to understand that side better and be able to pick apart those points if you want to stay on your side. Or two, because you might actually be wrong. We are not infallible. Charles Barkley said it best. I'm not an expert. Only God's an expert. So if you're Kevin Durant, do you want to come back in this series? If you come back and they win three in a row behind you, then you're a hero. You are Tony Stark. You are Steve Rogers. You are Spider-Man. You are the whole kit and caboodle. So there's a lot to like about that if you're Kevin Durant because he really cares about how people feel about him, which is a shame because he should. not He's one of the great basketball players of all time. He's a no-doubt Hall of Famer. He's probably one of the top 10 to 15 players of all time. I might even be undercutting that, but I'm going to put him right around that range right now. He is, as good as good gets, has the second most indefensible shot I've ever seen in, in basketball, behind only the skyhook from Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. He has committed better to defense. He's usually not in trouble, even though he leads the league in technical fouls this year. And that's just because I think he has become a malcontent internally, and it's manifested itself externally. But if he comes back, the narrative already after game one Immediately, everybody jumped to the they can't beat Toronto without Kevin Durant, which I think is absurd. Now, that I don't know that they can beat Toronto without Kevin Durant, without Clay Thompson, with a hampered Andre Iguodala, without Kevon Looney, and who knows what else is going to happen. But Durant wants to be wanted. He needs to be needed. And I think we all internally have that problem where we all kind of want people to need us. We need that in our lives. We shouldn't, but... Anything that plays to our ego is going to benefit us, we think. It's going to make us feel a little bit more secure, for lack of a better word. So if Kevin Durant comes back, and then they go on a tear, and they just roll through the Raptors, then that's great for Kevin Durant's psyche. That means that the NBA in mass will say, we were wrong to ever think that the Warriors were better without Kevin Durant, which I don't think that they were. I think that they played a better brand of basketball that was more fun to watch aesthetically. And maybe that the flow and the ball movement for Golden State at that point made them more unique and less complacent. You can get complacent when you've got an all-time great and another all-time great and a couple more that are close to all-time greats on one roster at one time. And that's what you have with Golden State. They got bored too often. They can't afford to get bored anymore. So you don't see them blow a 31-point lead to the Clippers like you did in the first round. So that's the first side of this. If you're Kevin Durant you come back, you can become a hero of all heroes for Golden State. And then you can leave if you still want to leave. But if you are planning to leave, and I know his agent has said he doesn't know what he is going to do, and maybe that is true, but the last person that I'm going to give credibility to in a discussion like that, when we've heard so many stories that he's known since late last year, from players and unnamed people. And I know unnamed sources is kind of a dangerous place to be waiting in as well, but I'm not going to believe the agent that says he doesn't know what he's going to do because all the agent knows is how can I get this guy more money? How can I max out what he's available to do? How can I get him in the best situation? He cares about his client. So he's not necessarily going to step up and say the thing with the most integrity in that moment. If Kevin Durant is planning to leave, Should he even care about coming back? Because if they were to rush him back, and that's been the discussion, do you rush him back and play him in Game 3? Do you rush him back if he's not quite right and you play him in Game 4? If they rush me back, and I'm Kevin Durant, with this kind of an injury and something goes wrong, that could affect my bank account for years to come. In Golden State or certainly on the open market, if I want to go to the Knicks, I want to be healthy to go to the Knicks. The whole situation down in New Orleans surrounding Anthony Davis. If Anthony Davis got hurt, what was he going to be worth in trade? So the Pelicans didn't want to play him. And that became an issue for the NBA. But if you're Kevin Durant, you do have a lot to lose here. How much do you care about another championship with Golden State? How much do you trust your own body right now? We've seen that here in Tennessee. Mariota, a little bit gun-shy when he came back. Didn't seem sure of himself. little scared. Conklin, didn't seem right, did he? When you don't trust what's underneath you, when you don't trust your legs, boy, that can make athletics real difficult, can't it? So Durant has a decision to make himself, even though, look, if the Warriors tell him to come back, I don't think he's going to shut it down. He has the leverage to do that, but it would be a terrible look, and it would find its way into the public discourse. Kevin Durant may, at this point, be necessary for them to beat Toronto because of the other problems that the Warriors are dealing with from an injury perspective. But rushing him back would be incredibly foolish for that organization. Same thing with Klay Thompson. If Klay's not 100%, if he's less than 80%, you just can't put him out there and risk him like that. And he's another guy that can get money on the open market this off season. He's not going to get as much as he would have otherwise because he can't get the supermax because of the stupid, if you don't make the all-NBA team, you can't make the $219, $217 million. You can make $30 million less to be Klay Thompson. I continue to say Klay Thompson, the best place he could land other than staying in Golden State, which is a perfect situation, is to go to L.A and I mean the Lakers in this case, because he would be the perfect guy for LeBron James because he's a guy that LeBron could set up and he could just dagger you to death from distance. He plays great defense. Clay is a fantastic player. He's not a number one dude. He's not an alpha player. He might not even be a guy worth the Supermax if you really want to think about it because is he one of the 15 best players in the NBA? I don't know. You would think that almost everybody on that list should be an alpha dog. I don't think Clay's ever an alpha dog. I think he is a perfect second banana to somebody else that's really dynamic, like a Steph Curry or like a Kevin Durant. The thing about Clay is, Clay is better. He's somewhere in this two to three, but he's not a three. At worst, he's two and a half. At worst, one of the best shooters of all time who also commits to defense. That's sort of a rarity. Most of those guys just like to shoot, and that's all they're ever known for. I know Clay's one half of the Splash Brothers, but he's also one hell of a defensive player. One of the great perimeter defenders and ball stoppers that we have in this league. But rushing him back could be catastrophic to the Warriors in the short and long term, and it could really harm Kevin Durant's bank account. So I don't know what the right answer here is. I don't know if I'm Kevin Durant if I really want to come back. And it's another one of those hypothetical questions in that, did you want the Warriors to win the championship without you? Or is your ego to the point that you want them to need you so bad that when you couldn't come back, it cost them another championship, a third straight, a fourth and fifth year, a fourth and five years? I don't know where Kevin Durant's mind is. I know that I would be real wary of them pushing me back to try and win a title when I'm not 100%. If I don't feel totally comfortable, I'm going to voice that. If I'm Durant, I'm going to do it in a very tactful way, and I'm just and I'm not going to make it seem like, hey, I got to worry about my future here. But that does need to be a consideration, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you think? It's sort of dangerous otherwise. It's precarious to say the least. We'll be right back. This is the Big Flash Golf Classic. Rolling right along here with the Big Six on 104.5 The Zone. I'm Jason Martin, editor-in-chief of the Big Six blog. That's at 104.5TheZone.com slash Big Six blog. You can also hear the Jason Martin Show, Fox Sports Radio, anywhere in the country, and certainly here you can hear the first two hours live from 2 to 4 a.m. Central Time Sunday mornings, or wherever you are, you can get it. And I'm on Twitter at JMartZone. A couple of NFL things that I was looking into Over the last day or so, Joe McCoy signs with the Panthers, stays in the NFC South. Interestingly, he said that he wanted to go to a contender, that that was his entire plan. And so I kind of laid out a couple of weeks ago why, well, that's not going to happen in terms of the Tennessee Titans because I don't think they're a contender. I don't think he sees them as a contender. He goes to Carolina. And some have questioned as to whether or not they are more of a contender than Tennessee is. I guess that depends on what you think of Cam Newton at quarterback because ultimately that's what this comes down to, doesn't it? He picked, did Gerald McCoy, the Panthers, who just moved from a 4-3 to a 3-4. And he's been very good against them in his entire career. He goes there where Cam Newton is. But he picked them over the Browns, Baker Mayfield going into his second year. That could be a really good thing or a really tumultuous thing in terms of that team with all of the interesting and... Just possible powder keg of personalities in a clash there with a first-year head coach. And he picked him over the Baltimore Ravens, where, of course, there's no more Joe Flacco and it's Lamar Jackson. And the jury is definitely still out as to whether or not that can work. I'm rooting for Lamar Jackson, no question about that. And he showed some flashes, but he really only made a couple of throws, as you even remember. Can he do that on a consistent basis becomes the question. If you don't have a quarterback in the NFL, you've got nothing. If you don't have a quarterback in the NFL, you're really not going to be a contender. Eventually, that is going to bite you, whether or not it's in the playoffs or not. I know defense wins championships, but defense usually wins championships alongside Tom Brady these days or someone like that. I'm not saying there hasn't been a Trent Dilfer or there hasn't been a Brad Johnson or whatever, but they are few and far between. Generally, you need to have a pretty good defense and a pretty good offense. The Rams, eh, well, I mean, they had Jared Goff, and Jared Goff kind of reverted to being Jared Goff against a great defensive scheme from the New England Patriots in the Super Bowl, but Goff looks like he still can play, at least certainly in that system with McVay. But I think you look at Gerald McCoy, and he goes, okay, well, I guess I buy into Cam Newton because they're not a contender if Cam Newton's not what he could be. I know they drafted another quarterback a little bit later on, but you don't look at... Will Greer and assume that he is the guy that's going to take over for Cam Newton, basically. So this is more a referendum on whether or not Cam Newton's going to be the guy if you're Gerald McCoy, because if you want to go the best situation, that would have been Indianapolis with luck and with Ballard and with an organization that really seems to know what it's doing, especially when Jim Irsay is not saying much of anything. But he decides to go to Carolina, where he's going to see two teams that he knows really well and one that he just played for. And that's going to be six games every year. Puts him in a pretty good position to succeed, and they had the money to sign him. And he said money wasn't necessarily the biggest thing, and it doesn't look like it actually was. But it is interesting. It is a fascinating question to ask how much closer the Carolina Panthers are right now than the Tennessee Titans are. But... If you're Gerald McCoy, I think you look at Mariota and you look at Tannehill and you say, I just don't know. And that is the question. That is what we continue to say every day on this radio station. We don't know. You might hear some people that seem like they're wearing Titan sunglasses, and you might hear people like me that certainly don't appear to be wearing Titan sunglasses. But in the end, we still don't know, and we're not going to know at the end of this year. And Gerald McCoy doesn't know. And so he goes to Cam Newton, who has been to a Super Bowl, didn't play well in it, but played against an all-time great defense in the Denver Broncos, and lost. But Cam, when he's right, is fantastic. And Ron Rivera is now calling the plays. He took over late in the season. He is someone that knows defense incredibly well, and that might be a comfort zone for Gerald McCoy at this point in his career. Past his prime, but still able to contribute. And this was a team in Carolina that was 27th in sacks last year. Yes, I know Titans fans, he'd have been great here too, even though the scheme wasn't perfect for him. That's the kind of thing that this team needed. But again, you're not a contender right now. I think this team is 7-9 and nine or 8-8 eight and eight probably this year. Maybe I'll get to 9-7. and seven. I haven't even gotten to sit there and look at it. I'm just basing it. I'm not basing it on they're going to lose this, they're going to lose this, they're going to lose this, even though I don't think they'll beat Kansas City or New Orleans, even though they're both going to be here. I just don't see this team being markedly better, and I still see way too many question marks in key spots. The number one being, I still don't know what we got at quarterback here. And if you don't know the answer to that question, any prediction can be incredibly treacherous. second NFL thing I wanted to talk about is the New York Jets. I still fail to understand why Adam Gase is the savior of all saviors in New York and seemingly is making all these decisions since getting there despite being a head coach that's under 500 in his career, they did nothing particularly of note in Miami. They are trying to find the general manager vacancy because of course they, they bounced that guy and Gates took some flack for that and maybe he should have even though they were the ones that hired him or along with the owner certainly but the GM was awful. If you look back at his draft record, if you look at the moves that he's made the free agent acquisitions, he was terrible he probably needed to go. But Adam Gase said earlier today at a press conference that he hopes that the GM is hired soon, but we're going to take as long as we have to to get the right guy. And there have been a couple of guys that have already turned turned them down twice that they're going back to. It looks like Adam Gase is really instrumental in who they're picking at GM. Maybe that's not outlandish. Maybe that's not new. But what has Adam Gase exactly proven that should make him someone whose advice you should really be considering deeply when it comes to the general manager. It seems like Adam Gase has an outsized degree of control over the Jets franchise. He's serving as acting GM, at least to some extent. He's the head coach. None of this makes any sense. They've got Le'Veon Bell coming in. Seems like that's sort of been smoothed over the whole I think you paid him too much from Adam Gase that also led to friction in the front office. You've got a second-year quarterback in Sam Darnold. Maybe Gase can be the quarterback whisperer for him. There are a lot of franchises betting on quarterback whisperers right now, Arizona probably being the number one example of that. You just don't know. But you do know that the Jets have been bad for a long time, and they've been run bad for a long time, and Adam Gase doesn't strike me as Sean McVay 2.0. He doesn't strike me as Doug Peterson He doesn't strike me as one of these offensive geniuses that we've seen emerge over the past half decade. He certainly doesn't strike me as Bill Walsh. He strikes me as a very overrated guy who's getting credit for things that he certainly helped and expedited, but wasn't necessarily the architect of. He could prove me wrong, folks. I'm well aware of this. But are you buying into Adam Gates to this degree? This seems a little bit short-sighted and a little bit pie in the sky if you're the New York Jets. You are handing the keys, the title, everything. The full bank account to Adam Gase, it seems like. Hire the GM that's best for the job, but don't let Adam Gase be the thing that actually pulls out the permanent marker and strikes names off the list. I don't think he's earned that reputation. I don't think he's earned that right. I'm not saying he's not smart. I've never sat in a room with him. I've only seen his press conferences and tacos floating around the room as a result of those press conferences, thanks to the Internet, which remains undefeated. But you are putting a whole lot of money and a whole lot of your future behind a guy that I just don't think has proven anything at all. Up next, a great story from Morehouse College. BigZone.com. Final segment tonight here on The Big Six. Blessed to have you as a part of my audience. Blessed to have this opportunity. Blessed by my Lord and Savior. I'm Jason Martin. I'm on Twitter at jmartzone, and we're brought to you by Renter's Warehouse, dedicated to putting homeowners on the path to financial freedom through rent estate, renting your home without having to do the hard stuff. Renter's Warehouse, the rent estate company. So I've got a really cool story for you that actually happened a couple of weeks ago, but I just found it when I was reading through Uh, magazine i subscribed to here a couple of days ago the economist and so i feel like maybe a lot of you haven't heard it either but i want to set it up by talking about this i went to los angeles last week with my girlfriend and my best friend uh that's the same person by the way and we had a blast and we spent thursday at disney and we went to disneyland and we went to california adventure and it was interesting because At one point, she kind of looked over to me and she said, you know, I've drunk the Kool-Aid today as we were looking at the souvenirs that we had bought because we fell right back into it. We fell right back into Mickey Mouse and Disney and just kind of feeling like a kid again in a place where all seemed right with the world. It was a super clean. It was just incredibly clean. Like you didn't see a spill anywhere. She mentioned that somebody spilled a drink and 30 seconds later, a cast member, that's what their employees are called, showed up and cleaned that thing up and dabbed it on the ground and it was gone. Like it had never been there. You just don't see it. As soon as we left there, we're stepping on all sorts of stuff. But at Disney, everything was good. There is a childlike wonder to that place. I'm in Pixar Pier and I'm just no shame in how much I love the Pixar films and how much they are just such good messages. Almost all of them have been wonderful messages. And I look forward to Toy Story 4 and covering that for the radio station and for the website. And But it got me to thinking again that there are places that you can escape a lot of the negativity that's out there. I could sit here and talk about this NBA teams wanting to move away from the word owner and what that connotes and what these people say and what these other people say. And I could do that. But there's nothing that comes from that. There's nothing that really needs to be said there. Some people are going to find that. Insensitive. Some people are not going to find that insensitive. That story doesn't get you anywhere. You're not going to change anybody's mind. And so rather than do that, this story that I read about in The Economist a couple of days ago that I also found in the New York Times, that's where I'm going to quote from, is just a message of hope. It's just a good thing. And I want to leave you with some positivity tonight. I know we have to do some hard analysis sometimes. We have to rail on the Adam Gases of the world or at least I have to speculate that I think it's a bad move or whatever, because that's my job. But I also have an opportunity to make your day better, hopefully. And so I read from the New York Times. And this happened a couple of weeks ago, like I said. And you may have already heard it. So if it's old news, I apologize. But for those that have not heard it, like me, uh, it was very uplifting. Quote, the 396 young men began the day as students in caps and gowns ready to graduate from Morehouse College, full of hope, but burdened in most cases with the debts that financed their education. Then their commencement speaker went off script with an extraordinary pledge. The newly minted alumni of the historically black college in Atlanta would go forth into the world student debt free. Robert F. Smith, the billionaire investor who founded Vista Equity Partners and became the richest black man in America, told the crowd that he and his family would pay off the entire graduating class's student debt, freeing them to begin their next chapter, whether it was a master's program, a position with Teach for America, or an internship at Goldman Sachs without loan payments to worry about. We're going to put a little fuel in your bus, Mr. Smith, dressed in academic regalia to receive an honorary doctorate, said near the end of his address on Sunday at the school's 135th commencement service. He turned to Morehouse alumni in attendance and abruptly issued a challenge. This is my class, 2019, he said, personally claiming the graduating seniors as his own, and my family is making a grant to eliminate their student loans. It seemed to take a moment for the immensity of what he had promised to sink in. Then the place erupted as the senior class, all male and mostly African-American, shook hands and hugged one another in glee. We're all in robes, hot, the sun was beaming on us, said Ernest Holmes, who said he had about ten grand in loans that his parents were going to tackle. We're holding our papers up trying to block the sun out of our eyes. Everyone jumped up and cheered. People were crying. It was just the most amazing thing. Mr. Holmes said he would soon start work as a software engineer for Google in Mountain View california ladies and gentlemen and that from the new york times ladies and gentlemen there's a lot of bad stuff that you can pick out of this world i spent a large part of yesterday decrying social media and some people disagreed with me and i love the fact that we live in a country where disagreement is okay and where we can still toast after the fact still get along after the fact but there's also a lot of good in this world and that's kind of the message that i want to leave you with tonight I get to talk about some of that good, and I'm able to contribute to the chorus in a positive or a negative way. And I'm guilty, in some cases, of finding the negative because it's more interesting. But then there's a story like this. Can you even imagine those 396 young men and their families... Just finding out that all of that weight that you know very well if you've graduated from college or if you just left college after taking a loan, all of that debt that sits on your shoulders, just to have that completely wiped out, it's a reminder that even when it's not forced, and actually more so when it is not forced, this is an incredibly giving country. It's an incredibly charitable country. It's an incredibly compassionate country. There's not really much context to it there's pros and there's cons and I do the pro and con segment on this show and this is I just want to spend basically this whole segment just giving credit to Robert F Smith a billionaire investor who helped make 396 young men's dream come true that they didn't even understand could possibly happen by paying off all their student loans and giving them a free ride into the country with their doctor or whatever their degree is and just saying look You don't have this albatross on your back. Go to work. Just phenomenal. We'll see you tomorrow. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. God bless and good night.